My friends, as we read the Passion, you know, we only read the Passion every uh, Palm Sunday and then on Good Friday. It's not one of the Gospels that works its way through the rest of the year. Rather, it only occurs these, this special time of the year. We don't read the Passion without giving it a particular solemnity, without giving it particular weight. Even we don't read about the death of our Lord without kneeling down to pause in respectful silence. To read through the Passion according to Luke, uh, Luke gives us so many beautiful details upon which we can reflect for a few minutes. I particularly am always moved by the figure of Peter. Peter is so headstrong. He is so impetuous. He, oh Lord, I will follow you anywhere. I'll go to prison with you. And Jesus says, before the end of the night, before the end of the night, you're going to deny me. Three times you will deny me. And then as we look at Peter, uh, first of all, we've got to realize, Jesus, it's so, we don't get it when we read it in English, but he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you. All of you like we. So he's using the plural, Satan has demanded to, shift, to sift you all. But I have prayed for you, personally. That the Lord has prayed for Peter, personally. That his faith may not fail, and that when he's turned back, no, he's going to fail, but when he is turned back, he may strengthen his brethren. Uh, the Pope personally prayed for, the, the Lord personally prayed for St. Peter, uh, and we have this here in a special relationship with our Holy Father, Pope Francis. Jesus prays for Peter, and Peter's job is to strengthen all of his brothers, the entire church. But here's a detail of Peter that we get from this reading, is... Peter denies Jesus three times. It's, it's a tragic scene, Peter's denial of our Lord Jesus. And he says, you know, you two are one of them. And Peter, uh, woman, I don't know him. And then a second time, you, you're one. They're accusing him. These are the people accusing Jesus. And how does Peter respond? Friend. Friend, I don't. You don't call someone who is condemning Jesus to death your friend. Peter makes friends. He's here. He's, he's trying to be too much of a people pleaser. Uh, And when we as Christians try to do that, when we try to please people who are hostile to Jesus Christ, uh, we will fail, right? If we just always try to please those who are militantly hostile to our Lord, uh, then we will fail just as surely as Peter did. But again, a detail that Luke gives us is he he denies Jesus twice. And then an hour later, he's hanging out by a fire having already denied Jesus twice, without any guilt in his conscience. It's not until it happens a third time that then, my friend, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, this one's your galley and you must be with him. My friend, again, being friends with those who hate Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was, he was saying this, the cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, And he went out and began to weep bitterly. You know, if we've done something wrong in our life, that we kind of intellectually it's there, but we don't feel anything, we got to let the Lord look at us. Right? Peter denied him twice that same night and felt nothing. He's just warming himself by a fire. And it's not until the Lord looks at him that Peter remembers the one who he's offended. And he begins to weep bitterly. We need to have the gaze of Jesus. We need to be looking at our Lord and let him look at us. And if we've offended him, if we've denied him, 
um, then yeah, we too should probably weep bitterly um, and seek forgiveness and seek redemption. Simon, I've prayed for you. So when you return, when you return, you may strengthen your brothers. And then we see just total dysfunction on display, right? That the high priest uh, arrests him in the middle of the night so no one, you know, would be able to cause a stink and the crowds that like him wouldn't be there. And then they bring him to Pilate and Pilate, he's not guilty of any capital crime. And so Pilate's not going to sentence him to death. And they're like, you have to do it. So he tries to get out of it. Again, here's a man in authority who is trying to just get out of his duty. So what's he going to do? Oh, we'll send him over to Herod. Right? Let's let Herod, let's, let's kick the ball into a different court. And let's let Herod take care of it. And Herod was a notoriously um, sensuous man. Um, so he just wanted the spectacle. Right? Jesus goes there. And Herod just really wants some of the wine. Right? He just makes some wine for me. Do a miracle just so I can see and have a little show like a magician, right? And I love in Mel Gibson's um, movie on the Passion, when Jesus is in Herod's court, he does, doesn't even open his eyes. He doesn't look at Herod at all, right? He, he, he answers him nothing. He does not answer him. He doesn't play the game. Religion that's just meant to be pleasing for me. Jesus doesn't play that game. Jesus doesn't play, he, he doesn't say a thing there. And so when people seek just a religion that's all about just my satisfaction or my enjoy, my pleasures, Jesus is silent in there. Jesus is silent in that moment. Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. And Pilate, again, he's not guilty. I'm not going to kill this man. And they say, all the more, crucify him crucify him. We want Barabbas, a murderer, instead of Jesus who gives life. And how many times, how many times have you and I just in our daily lives, you know, every time we sin, that's what we say. Who do you want? Do you want Jesus, the life giver? Or do you want Barabbas, a murderer? And we say, free Barabbas. Every time we sin, free Barabbas, the one who gives death. That's what I want with my sins. Free Barabbas. And then, when it's that, well, then what should I do with your religion? What should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. And they get, it, they get worked into this frenzy we hear in the gospel. It's a frenzied crowd. Crucify and kill. These are the same people that less than a week earlier were processing into the city of Jerusalem, laying their cloaks before the donkey that he rode in on, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And now in this frenzied mob, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And we say the same thing every time we choose against Jesus. What am I to do with the Christ? Crucify him by my sins. Because that is the crux of the matter. My sins are what nailed Jesus to the cross. He is my redeemer. He died for not just sin in general. He died for my sins. Every single one of them. He died for me. Jesus was God, right? So Jesus, we know, saw and knew everything, personally and individually. 
What that means is Jesus just didn't die for people in general. I'm just going to die for people. No. He died for people personally. He died for Father Michael Casey personally. We believe, and for each one of you, we believe that on that cross, just put your own name in there, he saw Michael Casey on the cross and loved him and died for him personally, with a personal love. And with his precious blood shed on that cross, he atoned for every single one of my sins, individually and knowingly. Not just my sins in general, he saw each one of them. And so it still continues. Every time I choose to sin, what am I to do with the Christ then? What am I to do with Jesus? You call him the Christ. Crucify him. Crucify him again by my sin. And again. And again. On the cross, you know, we have the good thief there who says, they're, they're, they're mocking Jesus on the cross. This is again one of these details of the full weight of dysfunction. You think that once he's been turned over, scourged, condemned, nailed to a heavy, uncomfortable piece of wood that he had to carry through the city, you think that once he's finally nailed to it, he's up there and he's going to die. You know, you just leave the guy alone. Give it a rest. No. On the cross, we hear they mock him. They mock him. If you're the Christ, come down and we'll believe. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They're mocking him from the cross. But the good thief nailed there next to him recognizes he, this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing. He's, he's committed no sin his entire life. This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We need to make that prayer. Jesus, remember me. Remember how you died for me. Remember all my sins that you atoned. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then we will, God willing, hear one day what the good thief stole heaven with those words. Jesus replied, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's just a final point. The whole passion story begins, I mean, this was what, like a 10-page reading for us here in the book. The passion begins with the last son. You think, the last son? No, we're, we're focusing on Friday, right? Third, no, well, why are we beginning with the last supper? Because Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. We have to realize this isn't a man who was caught by surprise. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely, and I take it up again. And so that night, that Passover night, Jesus took bread and wine said, this is my body, given up for you. He gives over his life. This is the chalice of my blood, which will be poured out for you for the remission of sins. He gives us his body and blood. And then says, do this in memory of me. At every Mass, 
We are present at the entire passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At every single Mass. At this Mass, in the same way, I, standing in the person of Christ as an altar Christus, as a priest, will take bread and wine and say, this is my body. This is my blood. And we are brought to Mount Calvary, which is why it's so important that there's a cross on our altar. Because the altar is the cross. The cross is the first and only altar on which the priest and victim in the same person, Jesus Christ, offered his life for our salvation. And so this isn't just a historical event. Rather, at every Mass, we are made present at Calvary. We are at the cross. It is the same sacrifice offered once for all. And so when we look upon the cross, in a few moments when we look upon our Lord present in the Eucharist, we say, Lord, remember me. Remember how you died for my sins. Remember how you died for me personally. Remember each and every one of those sins by which I said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him again. Lord, remember me in this Mass. Pray for me, Lord Jesus. And then today, today we hopefully hear those words, today and then again, at every Mass, and then finally, on our last day. Amen, I say to you, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise.